Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just a show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast show where we explore some of the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Foo. And guess who's also here in the studio? Kim Basson. Our own Bloomberg. Hello. Hello. How you doing? <laughs> I'm you, hyped for this now. Let's go. Well, you, because you wrote the story about Courtside Ventures, and you're very familiar with this. And we have guests that's connected all to that. Uh, Vasu Kilkarni. He is the founding partner of Courtside Ventures. Also, John Burbank, executive board member and part owner. Uh, he is uh, with uh, also the founder and chief investment officer of Passport Capital. And there's this little team that's uh, out there on the West called the Golden State Warriors. John Fasu, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I'm going to start with you, if I can, John, and let's talk about first, how did you get involved with Courtside Ventures? I got involved, um, I think I met Vasu maybe five five years ago, um, four or five years ago. He was raising a fund. Um, anything related to sports was, um, you know, not many funds related to sports. Um, he was as passionate uh, a fan as I'd ever met. He was an entrepreneur, had been an entrepreneur. Uh, he had good backing, and I liked his chances. I really like venture uh, bets that are industry-specific and domain-specific, and um, the combination uh, really appealed to me. So, Vasu, let's bring you into this conversation. You said, or John said he met you five years ago. Uh, you've gotten a couple of funds together. The most recent is the $100 million Fund 3. What has the appetite been like for investing in sports since you launched your first fund uh, several years ago? Uh, it's changed dramatically. I mean, I always tell when I was a when I was a founder uh, almost 14 years ago, and I was running a a sports analytics startup. There was almost no funding available whatsoever for sports. I I ended up having to raise all my money from random Wall Street angels and eventually from owners of pro sports teams who understood the value of what we were doing. Uh, but, but traditional VCs had zero interest in any of it. And when we launched in 2016 with Fund One, it was really to prove to people that you could generate venture returns in sports. And we were lucky enough to be the first money into a couple of deals, uh, a company called StockX and a company called The Athletic. And those two companies basically, uh, I think, were able to prove to the world that, hey, in and around the world of sports, there are big opportunities and there are big exits that can happen. 
Um, and so going into fund two, fundraising was a little bit easier, um, but it was also the middle of COVID. So uh, it, it was not as easy as it should have been. And then going into fund three, um, there, there was a ton of appetite. There was more than we expected. We ended up with you know, almost 10 different pro sports team owners across uh, the major sports leagues here, as well as in Europe. But then more importantly, uh, a number of corporates, uh, strategic corporates, uh, companies like Big Sporting Goods, um, Techno Gym out in Europe, uh, Dream Sports uh, in India. There are a number of these companies that have ties to uh, the, the world of sports and fitness and gaming that uh, that all came in to BLPs in our fund. Jim, like I said, you wrote a story about Courtside Ventures, which you know educated guys like me who sit on a park bench on a Thursday trying to figure everything out. What did you discover about this? Well, Vasu, last we spoke, you told me that investors would run for the hills when they heard the word sports, right? Like years ago, we're just I'm out, goodbye, get out of my office. But I uh, mean, you raised a hundred million from investors for, for this this do fund. It's all, it's looking to back sports startups. And I also recently broke some news that that Sapphire Sport, the sports arm of Sapphire Ventures, has raised 181 as well for their own fund. Talking to them. They congratulated you, and they said your combined raises are proof that this is a sector that investors are starting to take more seriously. Like, have things really changed that much? Oh, totally. Uh, there's no question. I mean, I, I don't think that 10 years ago, either of our funds would have been able to raise uh, this kind of capital to invest in the sector. Um, but I think a lot of that has come down to the redefinition of the word sports. You know, um, back, back Again, back when I was a founder, the definition of, of investing in sports meant You've got a, a physical product or a software product that you're going to sell to teams or athletes. Mm. Um, I think sports is significantly broader than that. Uh, you've also had massive changes in regulation over the past five years with PASPA repeal in the United States, which has opened up opportunities to invest in real money gaming, sports betting, uh, both here and globally. I mean, that's a big part of what we do is we look across the world for uh, for companies in our sectors, specifically in the real money gaming space, uh, looking to, to see what happened in the United States five years ago with the change in regulation, saying where else in the world are we seeing large opportunities for big populations that have high smartphone proliferation, a lot of sports fans, but sports betting has not yet become legalized. And can we go place an early bet on a daily fantasy player there in the hopes that when sports betting does get regulated and their licenses have been given out, our companies are in pole position to get those licenses. So those are the types of, of massive opportunities that are at play here. Um, and I think that's why when, when, when the word sports has become redefined to be much broader than products that you're going to sell to a team or an athlete, now the LPs are excited and now the venture community is excited about what we're doing. And so I expect that while there are a number of sports-specific funds like us and Sapphire and three or four others, you're also going to start to see the, the generalist funds at the later stages also getting involved in our companies. And that's what we've seen. If you look at who's backed the athletic in their, their later rounds, who backed StockX in their later rounds, it wasn't sports-specific funds. It was massive generalist funds that were coming in after the fact. So we look at our job as we look at things in the seed, in the very early stages, and back these great founders, and then you know we're going to hand them off to the big boys. Yeah. John, let's bring you back in this conversation as well, because as a part 
owner of the Golden State Warriors. You are uh, one of the ways that traditionally people might invest in sports, but as Vasu made clear, that asset class has expanded to something more than any of us could have imagined. When you look around the world, across geographies and across different sports, what do you see as offering some value uh, that that's still in the early stage where you can get in at a point before everything's kind of blown up, the valuations have gotten to points where uh, you might describe it as bubblicious. Right. Well, it's only been the last few years that institutional capital has, has uh, organized itself to invest in teams. Um, and uh, so that's significant. I think it's one of those things where everybody doubted it um, as an investment, high investment return, instead of like a cyclical, um, you know, a media-driven cyclical um, industry. So for the most part, people were wrong. And I think it's kind of like we, we probably didn't expect that uh, luxury brands would become so profitable to make, you know, create some of the richest men in the world. I think, I think sports are, are some combination of luxury brands because this is the best human capital in the world, you know, doing these different sports and, uh, and consumer and, 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 a, and lower consumer um, brands as well. So I think one other thing is, you know, sports do not innovate very much themselves. They need innovation to come from outside. So with the, with the, with the change and development of tech, you know, we needed outside uh, companies to create, um, to expand, I would say, um, you know, connectivity, uh, new products, new services, et cetera. Um, and also we've seen, um, you know, the cable uh, change where sports is absolutely essential and, high, and a more and more highly valued, uh, and everything else you know can be streamed and delayed. But I think sports generally was just constantly underrated. Now, in the last year, year and a half, sports teams have done as well as any other asset in the world. I would say, um, and it's been a big surprise. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John, I'd like to ask you, uh, because you are a minority owner of the Golden State Warriors, are you shocked by the valuations that have just 
went through the roof. I mean, you could buy an NBA team about 20-something years ago, and it seemed like a reasonable price. Now, uh, you know, I got to put up my, my two first children and, and everything beyond to buy a team. What? Why has it exploded like this? Well, a lot of things got fixed. Um, you know, invest, I invested in 2010 um, with the change of ownership. The collective bargaining agreement got changed. The players were getting 57%. The owners only 43. I figured it was going to get 50-50 after the crisis, which it did. I think um, basketball and soccer or global football are are really the two sports that are global in nature. And so the bet on that was the right bet. Um, You had... um, um, You had... uh, um, the, the the just general rise of with prosperity, people are willing to commit more and more capital to experiences, um, you know, and so that's been a that's been a big change. Um, I'd say, you know, ultimately, I think it's a it's a there's something like tribal and essential for people to uh, get together and watch, like speculate, watch, follow and see this fast feedback uh, set of results. When you think about it, other than business, um, sports you know, is, the, is the thing that offers you this ongoing, very fast feedback loop, which I think is really compelling. And the fact that it's done regionally and, and, and people collectively follow this stuff has been underrated in terms of economic terms. But I think as long as the world gets more and more prosperous, the values of sports teams are going to keep rising, and I think the the, uh, the eccentric uh, companies and other services and products are just going to keep uh, rising and become more and more valuable. And Kim, we've talked about this about the rising values, and you know, you look and you say, "Jinky Scooby Doo, what? Wh- how how high can it go?" Yeah, and are we going to keep seeing these valuations rise to the point where you need institutional investors to get involved in these teams? There's a set amount of really, really, really rich people out there who are willing to put six, seven, eight billion dollars down to buy a sports team. Uh, so, John, do you think that uh, a league like the NFL, for example, will have to inevitably allow institutional investors into their into their league? I think it's. It's. I think it's. I think for these leagues, they're 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 creeping into it. You know, the fact that COVID happened uh, helped the NBA, convince the NBA to allow the Warriors to be the first team to have uh, a private equity firm Arctos come in and invest. Um, I think uh, you know these are monopolies essentially. So I think that they're going to take their time with it. But really, it makes sense. You know, the 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 all the all the American sports teams. There's a control owner. Uh, and everyone else is essentially a limited partner. Um, and so to eventually have um, private equity firms be institutional minority owners is not should not be a controversial thing. But I think is we're, we're going to creep into it. It is going to be essential for liquidity provision to the, um, the owners, investors in all these teams. And it will help in other ways because – you know, lots of teams are not the best, are not that well managed. Um, and I think the more institutionalization of sports, the better management, I think, practices will come into for, for, some, for some teams and other combinations of, uh, of teams together. That's interesting because that's a 
I mean, talk about a small pool of people who can do that. There aren't that many people who might be able to walk into a sports team and, and turn things around and reorganize the management of that if there's going to be more private equity firms uh, that will be minority owners and, and coming in to kind of oversee the restructuring. How do you see this shaking out in, in five years and 10 years, John? Well, in the Premier League, you're seeing Americans, you know, come in and make, you know, big changes. Um, and it's becoming more and more essential to have um, capital and sophistication as you uh, as you watch uh, that league change and watch uh, global football change. Um, in American sports where there's no relegation, um, you have the you know, phenomenon where uh, an owner doesn't have to make any changes or do anything, and the, they make a lot of money, um, you know, coasting with the, the, the general value creation of the monopoly of the league. Um, that's probably the biggest um, challenge for the American sports is to make the regular season relevant and force competition, you know, and better practices to happen. With the Warriors, you know, we had probably the best set of investors ever assembled. You had a Silicon Valley culture. You had uh, a desire to have the best management in the front office, which is really essential to having, uh, you know, a high-quality team. Um, But, you know, so the downside has not been – there hasn't been any downside for American sports owners – um, I think having institutional owners who want a return and who can actually have confidence and bring it to teams is a good thing. And Vasu, I'd like to ask you, because this is where extreme courtside ventures comes in, because you guys build the long-term partnerships with management. In other words, it's like you build the partnerships and you tell them, it's like, hey, why don't you go to so-and-so's house because he makes a good cake or something like that. And then you, they become bonded and then that's when everything begins to grow, or am I oversimplifying that? <laughs> well, it, it, we are we are definitely in a human capital business in, <laughs> in many ways, you know, similar to sports. And we, at, at least at the, the levels at which we invest, where it's it's two founders and, a, and an idea in a basement, you know, there's not much to go on other than do we believe that these are the founders who are going to kick down doors and run through walls for the next ten years, and when get when times get tough. Uh, are, are they going to see it through or are they going to quit? And, and, and in many ways, it's not that dissimilar from, from sports. And I think and, and who you draft and who you trade for, it, it's very much about, yes, there's some raw potential there, but uh, are these the types of people that, uh, that can work together and build teams and see something through? And um, you know, for us, there's, there's two things that we look at above everything else. It's the quality of the founders and it's whether or not the market opportunity is large enough. There's, a lot of great founders out there who are building great companies that are just not big enough for venture returns. And that doesn't mean it's a bad business. It, the, the founders, frankly, sh- should definitely continue down that road, not raise a lot of capital and have a great personal exit. But that's not the business that we're in in order to be able to generate the returns we need to mm. for our investors. And so it's, uh, it, it's very much looking at people and looking at size of markets and believing in both of those things for us. You know, we've been dancing around this, so I'm just going to bring it up now. Um, Kim Basin, I think you're not in tears exactly, but it's been a rough day for you because we learned that Tom Brady is retiring again from your your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. (laughs) 
I mean, he, 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 he had he had to at some point, right? He's forty. He's forty five years old. Uh, it's funny because I was I was looking back at I wrote about his retirement the last time he retired a year ago and explained like here's what Tom Brady's gonna do when he's done and he hangs up his cleats. He's gonna work on his businesses. You know, he's got autograph. He's got the uh, the, the 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 Fox gig for 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 the TV. world's most highly paid broadcaster. I believe he was gonna yes, be right. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So like, he's gonna do all that, and then uh, he also had. A, investment in FTX. I don't think he's going to do that anymore. Uh, so F- <laughs> looking back on that, most of it's still relevant. So I'm assuming he's just going to do these things. But, you know, the, the fear now for me is that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be bad for several decades. Listen, I can help you with that. I'm a Lions fan. Mm-hmm. So let me let me sit down and talk to you for a second. You just believe in them. <laughs> you believe you think the That's next the season you got to believe. You got to you oh think they're going to have a winning season the yeah. next season. You can and be bitter like Michael Barr every year too. At, at 2 and 8 you're like they're oh they're going to win out this time. They got this. But how are Thank you thinking you. about this, especially as you talk to people in your world about Tom Brady and, and looking ahead? Is he going to become a PE investor like every other former NFL quarterback? I think he's already in a bunch of different things, and uh, will stay generally busy, especially if he uh, uh, if he goes through with that that broadcasting deal, right? As the world's most well paid broadcaster, um, he, he's gonna be he's gonna be there all the time. And before we wrap this up, Sylvester, I'm gonna ask you: Are you gonna call up Tom Brady? It's like, hey, listen, uh, dude, we got to talk. Listen, I mean, the the greatest basketball player of all time retired three times, so I, I wouldn't say Tom's <laughs> definitely calling it quits. He's, he's got one more retirement ahead of him if he wants to be on the same level as Michael Jordan. So I, I'm gonna I'm wow, gonna wait and that's see. That's a big call. John Burbank, executive board member, part owner of the Golden State Warriors, Vasu Kulkarni, founding partner of Courtside Ventures, and our own BN's Kim Basin. He has written stories about Courtside Ventures. Everybody, thank you all so much for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We really do appreciate it. Thanks for having us. This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore some of the big money issues in the world of sports. We miss you, Damian Sassauer. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And tweet me at Scarlet Foo. I know you got something out there. At Kim Basine. Oh. Wait, spell it for us, please. A-I-M-B-H-A-S-I-N. Hey, you know you can download this show every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Download this show wherever you get your podcasts. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.